Here's another study from Calvary Chapel, Rochester. We're in Ezekiel chapter 26. So if you want to go and turn in your Bibles there. Ezekiel chapter 26. We're going to actually cover three chapters today uh, because they're all related together. So uh, we'll, we'll probably... I hope you guys pot packed a lunch. But no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> you know, in the New Testament, Jesus spoke a lot about people's attitudes towards money and, uh, and wealth. And some of the things that he said, you know, he said you cannot serve God and money. Uh, he also talked about the deceitfulness of riches and how that can choke out the word in an unbel- in a believer and cause them to be unfruitful. Um, and he also mentioned how hard it is for those who trust in riches to enter in the kingdom of heaven. And, you know, and that's just a couple, three or four passages. God spoke, uh, Jesus spoke a lot about wealth, about money and riches. Paul did too. Paul wrote that those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and uh, perdition. Excuse me. And he also said the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. And some people mis- misquote that and say, you know, money is the root of all evil. No, it's the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And he says, for which some have strayed from their faith in their greediness and pierce themselves through with many sorrows. And you go, well, what does that have to do with Ezekiel chapter 26? Well, the next three chapters are all a prophecy against the city of, of Tyre, and it also mentions Sidon, which is 20 miles away. And those cities are just north of present-day, or were north of present-day Israel, located in the nation of Lebanon, and they were Phoenician cities. The Phoenicians... They were a seafaring people. In fact, they were the preeminent seafarers or maritime people of their ancient world. And uh, because they were a seafaring people, they were merchants and traders. And uh, they had colonies across the Mediterranean. They had colonies on other continents. They were the Amazon.com of their world. If you wanted to get something, you would go to Tyre and you could purchase it there. And if they didn't have it, they would get it for you. They had such vast uh, commerce throughout the known world at, at that time. And as a result of all their commerce, Tyre, the city, was fabulously wealthy and luxurious. And her prince and her people were proud and greedy. Um, now, there was a good king of Tyre. You remember when David was uh, trying to gather uh, materials for building the temple? Uh, king Hiram of Tyre, he was, he was a friend of David, and he also feared the God of Israel, and he sent a bunch of cedar, provided cedar for building the temple. But that was many years ago. Um, the prince of Tyre is not named in these prophecies, but he's believed by um, scholars to be a guy by the name of Ethbaal III. And uh, so, like I said, it's not in scriptures, but that's what they think. But the Phoenicians, they were an idolatrous people who worshipped Baal. And uh, there was one famous Phoenician. Her name was Jezebel. She was the wife of King Ahab of Judah. She was a Phoenician princess from the city of Sidon. And uh, she actually introduced Baal worship into Judah. And... uh, 
Anyways, so Tyre, the city of Tyre, is kind of like Minneapolis-St. Paul. They actually were twin cities. There was an old Tyre and a new Tyre, not like on a car, but, you know. It's funny, when I was doing some, I was doing some Google stuff about tires, every time I did it, I'd get a picture of a tire. I'm like, oh, I don't have the city tire. Because, you know, the British, they spell it weird, you know. They do everything weird. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Anyways, it was, they were twin cities. They had an old tire and a new tire. The old tire was actually an island that was a half mile off the shoreline up there in, in Lebanon. And... Uh, then there was New Tyre, which was the city that was on the shore just a half mile away. The island city of Tyre had a large 150-foot-tall wall that faced the land, and it had towers as well. And so it protected it from any, you know, any forces that you know, were going to like catapult rocks or you know, send flaming missiles. They couldn't, they couldn't penetrate uh, through that defense. And so basically the island city of Tyre was impenetrable from land. And uh, the waters between the two cities was about 20 feet deep. And so unless you had a navy, the island of Tyre was virtually inaccessible from attack from the shoreline. So that kind of gives you just a little bit of a picture here. Now we'll get into the, the prophecy against Tyre. Chapter 26, verse 1. And it came to pass in the 11th year, on the first day of the month, that the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, because Tyre has said against Jerusalem, Aha, she is broken, who was the gateway of the peoples. Now she is turned over to me. I shall be filled and she is laid waste. The prophecy here regarding Tyre was, as it says here, in the 11th year. And what that 11th year is speaking about is the year that Nebuchadnezzar destroyed Jerusalem in 586 B.C. What was Tyre's sin? Tyre, you know, and Jerusalem, they weren't enemies. They actually were trading partners. They actually traded, Tyre traded with Jerusalem for grain. And although Tyre controlled all the trade on the seas because of their navy, their ships, their merchant vessels, Jerusalem did some trading on land and it kind of cut into their profits. And uh, so in her greed and desire for more wealth, funny how that happens. You know, you get wealth and it's like you want to get more, you want to preserve it. In their desire for more wealth, Tyre rejoiced in Jerusalem's destruction because that meant that now Tyre would control all commerce in that region, not only on, sh on, in, on you know, um, across the oceans, but also on land. So they were like, yeah, right, you know. Greed is what it was, basically what was driving them. <coughs> Excuse me. Verse 3, Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against you, O Tyre, and will cause many nations to come up against you as the sea causes its waves to come up, and they shall destroy the walls of Tyre and break down her towers. I will also scrape her dust from her and make her like the top of a rock. It shall be a place for spreading nets in the midst of the sea, for I have spoken says the Lord God. It shall become plunder for the nations. Also her daughter villages, which are in the fields, shall be slain by the sword. Then they shall know that I am the Lord. So the prophecy here against Tyre, very specific. Her walls and her towers would be destroyed. The dust of the city would be scraped from her and she'd be made like a rock, 
basically bare, and she would become a place for fishermen to spread their nets. Verse 7, For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will bring against Tyre from the north Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, king of kings, with horses, with chariots, and with horsemen, and an army with many people. He will slay with the sword your daughter villages in the fields. He will heap up a siege mound against you, build a wall against you, and raise a defense against you. He will direct his battering rams against your walls, and with his axes he will break down your towers. Because of the abundance of his horses, their dust will cover you. Your walls will shake at the noise of the horsemen, the wagons and the chariots when he enters your gates, as men enter a city that has been breached. With the hooves of his horses, he will trample all your streets. He will slay your people by the sword, and your strong pillars will fall to the ground. They will plunder your riches and pillage your merchandise. They will break down your walls and destroy your pleasant houses. They will lay your stones, your timber, and your soil in the midst of the water. I will put an end to the sound of your songs, and to the sound of your harps shall be heard no more. I will make you like the top of a rock. You shall be a place for spreading nets, and you shall never be rebuilt. For I, the Lord, have spoken, says the Lord God. Listen to the specifics of the destruction of Tyre that's being prophesied. First of all, Nebuchadnezzar would siege Tyre, and her riches and her merchandise would be plundered. Her pleasant houses would be destroyed. Her stones, timber, and soil would be laid in the midst of the water. Music would no longer be heard in her. Again, she'd be made like a top of a rock, no soil, basically like bare bread rock. She'd be a place for spreading nets. That's mentioned twice now in Scriptures. And she would never be rebuilt. Verse 15, Thus says the Lord God to Tyre, Will the coastlands not shake at the sound of your fall when the wounded cry, when the slaughter is made in the midst of you? Then all the princes of the sea will come down from their thrones, lay aside their robes, and take off their embroidered garments. They will clothe themselves with trembling. They will sit on the ground, tremble every moment, and be astonished at you. They will take up a lamentation for you and say to you, How, have you, how you have perished, O one inhabited by seafaring men, O renowned city who is strong at sea, she and her inhabitants, who caused their terror to be on all her inhabitants. Now the coastlands tremble on the day of your fall. Yes, the coastlands by the sea are troubled at your departure. Now, she was a merchant nation. She traded with, had commerce with all these other nations. The nations who traded with Tyre would be astonished at her downfall, and they'd make up a lamentation, which is known as a funeral dirge, basically, for the city. Now, that sounds to me eerily familiar to Revelation chapter 18. In Revelation 18, the nations that traded with the city of Babylon in the last days are going to cry and they're going to lament over the destruction of that city. They'll, they'll say, in one hour she was destroyed. And, you know, I don't know if maybe, you know, going through the years and, you know, through the generations, through the centuries, you know, wondering, well, how could a nation or how could a, how could a city be destroyed in one hour? Well, today, that's not too hard to imagine, right, with the weapons of mass destruction. It'd be pretty easy to level a city in, in one hour. Um, not only that, but our, our complete dependence, almost virtually complete dependence on computer systems and electronics, 
It wouldn't take much to completely wipe out a, a, an entire system of commerce. And that's what's going to prophesy it's going to happen in the last days. And uh, so anyways, it sounds quite a bit like it. Verse 19, For thus says the Lord God, when I make you a desolate city, like cities that are not inhabited, when I bring the deep upon you and great waters cover you, then I will bring you down with those who descend into the pit, to the people of old. I will make you dwell in the lowest part of the earth, in places desolate from antiquity, with those who go down to the pit, so that you may never be inhabited. And I shall establish glory in the land of the living. I will make you a terror, and you shall be no more. Though you are sought for, you will never be found again, says the Lord God. So the inhabitants of Tyre would be brought down with those who descend into the pit. What he's talking about, the pit is known as Sheol or Hades in the Old Testament. And that's the place where the spirits of wicked, of the wicked people, people of old, are they're there awaiting the resurrection for the day of judgment. See, everybody's going to get resurrected. You're either going to be resurrected to eternal life or you're going to be resurrected to judgment. And so these uh, souls are waiting in Sheol, and that's what that's talking about, the pit. God also mentions here through Ezekiel that He would bring great waters over Tyre to cover her. So was this prophecy fulfilled as God spoke through Ezekiel? Well, we know from history, one year after the destruction of Jerusalem, in 585 B.C., Nebuchadnezzar sieged Tyre. I mean, you think about it. If you're, if you're coming through and you're trying to conquer land, and here's a city that's got just about everything that you need, you know, and everything that you could possibly want. I mean, it would be a prize catch for any dictator, any, any world ruler. And so uh, Nebuchadnezzar sieged Tyre, the city that was on land. It took 13 years to conquer the city. He finally did it in 573 B.C. However... According to the historians, either before or during the siege, the inhabitants of the city fled to the island city. They just went half mile offshore to the island city of Tyre. And with Nebuchadnezzar not having any navy, had no way to, to, to access them, he basically left them offshore and went on his continuing, you know, his, his, uh, his exploits. And Tyre's power and wealth was diminished, but it wasn't destroyed. And the people that had escaped to the island and the people that were on the island, I mean, they just they were able to continue on in their pride and in their greed. I mean, they had they had actually, you know, made it through Nebuchadnezzar's conquest. Now there's a fascinating prophecy regarding Nebuchadnezzar's failed attempt to destroy Tyre. It's in Ezekiel chapter twenty nine. We won't get to it tonight today. But in it, God tells Ezekiel to tell Nebuchadnezzar that God recognized that uh, Nebuchadnezzar had labored trying to plunder and destroy Tyre, but he didn't receive the wages for his efforts, for his labor. God says, you did all this work and you didn't receive your, your wages. And so in chapter 29, God says that he's going to repay Nebuchadnezzar for his lost wages by giving him great success and great plunder when he turns towards Egypt and attacks Egypt. And that's exactly what happened. And, you know, I don't know how many of you remember Paul Harvey, but in the words of Paul Harvey, and now for the rest of the story. <laughs> you know, although the Phoenicians' power and wealth was somewhat reduced, what about all these specific 
prophecies regarding the destruction of the city. They actually were fulfilled. In 332 B.C., Alexander the Great, he came and he destroyed the city of Tyre on land completely, reducing it to rubble. He had his soldiers take all the debris from the city on the shore that he, that he demolished, and he had them throw it into the ocean, into the Mediterranean, and he started building a causeway, a land bridge, so to speak, to the island city of Tyre. It took him a number of times, a number of years to do it, and the people on the island of Tyre, basically, the historians say that they were basically mocking Alexander's soldiers, like, you know, they, they were just in their pride, ah, he'll never make it. But as the causeway got closer and closer, and actually they tried attacking the first one, and he built a second one. And, and by the time that one reached right at, to their island, uh, they, they weren't laughing anymore. And uh, Alexander the Great literally scraped the dust off the land city of Tyre down to bare rock. And he created this 200-foot-wide causeway that basically connected the shore with the island city. And then he attacked the city, and he destroyed it. And he also built, later on, Alexandria, the city in Egypt, and it became the hub of commerce in place of the Phoenicians because they were, they were wiped out at that point. The remains of the island city, um, Tyre, literally became a place where fishermen spread their nets in the sun to dry. I mean, it was completely fulfilled literally and today and i was looking you can actually go on the google it and look at where the tire was today where the old city of tire sat it's now submerged under the ocean it's covered with water just like the bible says and it has never been inhabited again now in lebanon there is a modern day city of tire but it's small compared to the city in in the history of antiquity and it's not located in the same place as the original location. So it never really was. That great city was never rebuilt. You know, although some of God's prophecies have been partially fulfilled, eventually they are all going to be completely, and I believe, literally fulfilled. And I think this, this, this whole story about, prophet, about Tyre is a, a perfect example. God's Word is true, folks. We're going to move into chapter 27. Now, 27 is also a prophecy against Tyre, but it's told in an allegory. uh, And the allegory is of a luxurious ship that's about to sink. Verse 1. The word of the Lord came again to me, saying, Now, son of man, take up a lamentation for Tyre, and say to Tyre, You who are situated at the entrance of the sea, merchant of the peoples on many coastlands, thus says the Lord God, O Tyre, you have said, I am perfect in beauty. Your borders are in the midst of the seas. Your builders have perfected your beauty. Tyre was the merchant of the peoples on many coastlands. Like I mentioned earlier, the Phoenicians had colonies all around the Mediterranean. They had colonies on Spain and on England as well. They actually founded the ancient city of Carthage, which is now in Tunisia, or part of Tunisia, or Tunisia is there, I guess now. Um, There's even apparently some uh, evidence suggesting that the Phoenicians sailed around the Cape of Africa and also may have even reached the Americas. Um, Verse 5. They made all your planks of fir trees from Sinir. They took a cedar from Lebanon to make you a mast. Of oaks from Bashan, they made your oars. The company of Asherites have inlaid your planks with ivory from the coasts of Cyprus. Fine embroidered linen from Egypt was what you spread for your sail. 
blue and purple from the coasts of Elisha was what covered you. Inhabitants of Sidon and Arvad were your oarsmen. Your wise men, O Tyre, were in you. They became your pilots. Elders of Gebal and its wise men were in you to cock your seams. All the shores, uh, excuse me, all the ships of the sea and their oarsmen were in you to market your merchandise. The Phoenicians, they prided themselves in their seamanship. Verse 10, those from Persia, Lydia, and Libya were in your army as men of war. They hung shield and helmet in you. They gave splendor to you. Men of Arved with your army were on your walls all around. And the men of Gamad were in your towers. They hung their shields on your walls all around. They made your beauty perfect. The, the, the Phoenicians, the inhabitants of Tyre, they were so wealthy that they were wealthy enough to hire mercenaries from other countries to, to basically make up their own army. Verse 12, Tarshish was your merchant because of your many luxury goods. They gave you silver, iron, tin, and lead for your goods. So now if Tarshish sounds familiar to you, it should if you've been to Sunday school. Remember Jonah was told by God to go preach to Nineveh and instead he hitched a, a ride on a ship heading for Tarshish. Remember that story? He had a fish story that he told afterwards. but The biggest fish story ever told. Um, verse 13. Javan, Tubal, and Meshech were your traders. They bartered human lives and vessels of bronze for your merchandise. Those from the house of Togamara or Togarma, excuse me, traded for your wares with horses, steeds, and mules. The men of Dedan were your traders. Many isles were the market of your hand. They brought you ivory tusks and ebony as payment. Syria was your merchant because of the abundance of goods you made. They gave for your wares emeralds, purple embroidery, purple embroidery, fine linen, corals, and rubies. Judah and the land of Israel were your traders. They traded for your merchandise wheat of minneth, millet, honey, oil, and balm. Damascus was your merchant because of the abundance of goods you made, because of your many luxury items, with wine of Helbon and with white wool. Dan and Javan paid for your wares, traversing back and forth. Wrought iron, cassia, and cane were among your merchandise. Dedan was your uh, merchant in saddlecloths for writing. Arabia and all the princes of Kedar were your regular merchants. They traded with you in lambs, rams, and goats. The merchants of Sheba and Ramah were your merchants. They traded for your wares with choicest spices, all kinds of precious stones and gold. Haran, Keneh, Eden, the merchants of Sheba, Assyria, and Chilmed were your merchants. These were your merchants in choice items, in purple clothes, cloths, in embroidered garments, in chests of multicolored apparel, in, in sturdy woven cords which were in your marketplace. You know, going through this list of all these different wares and these different things, the merchandise that they that they traded in, it gives you an, an idea of the scope of the commerce that Tyre participated in and the immense wealth that the city of Tyre controlled. I mean, all this commerce from all over the known world, basically, was controlled through Tyre. Verse 25, the ships of Tarshish were carriers of your merchandise. You were filled and very glorious in the midst of the seas. Your oarsmen brought you into many waters, by the, but the east wind broke you in the midst of the seas. 
your riches, wares, and merchandise, your mariners and pilots, your calkers and merchandisers, all your men of war who are in you, and the entire company which is in your midst will fall into the midst of the seas on the day of your ruin. The common land will shake at the sound of the cry of your pilots. All who handle the oar, the mariners, all the pilots of the sea will come down from their ships and stand on the shore. They will make their voice heard because of you. They will cry bitterly and cast dust on their heads. They will roll about in ashes. They will shave themselves completely bald because of you, gird themselves with sackcloth and weep for you with bitterness of heart and bitter wailing. In their wailing for you, they will take up a lamentation and lament for you. What city is like Tyre, destroyed in the midst of the sea? When your wares went out by sea, you satisfied many people. You enriched the kings of the earth with your many luxury goods and your merchandise, but you are broken by the seas and the depths of the waters. Your merchandise and the entire company will fall in your midst. All the inhabitants of the isles will be astonished at you. Their kings will be greatly afraid, and their countenance will be troubled. The merchants among the peoples will hiss at you. You will become a horror and be no more forever. You know, because everybody dealt with Tyre for their merchandise, they had a vested interest. It wasn't that they were grieving over the destruction of the poor Tyrians. I don't know if that's what they were called, but the people of Tyre. But they were grieving over their lost their goods. I mean, it was basically greed, basically. And they all wept over the destruction of the ancient city of Tyre. I think that's an Old Testament picture, like I mentioned earlier, of how the kings of the earth and the merchants of the earth are going to cry in terror and horror when the great city of Babylon is destroyed suddenly during the Great Tribulation. Now, hopefully I've kind of painted a picture for you of the vast wealth uh, the power and the influence of the city of Tyre. You know, you get you get kind of an idea, man. These guys really, they they were they were it. You know, basically. Uh, can you imagine being the person in control of it all, being the CEO or the king or the ruler? You know, whatever. You think that'd be a humble person? In chapter twenty-eight, now the prophecy turns to the man who presides over all this wealth, the prince of Tyre. Verse one. The word of the Lord came to me again, saying, Son of man, say to the prince of Tyre, Thus says the Lord God, Because your heart is lifted up, and you say, I am a God, I sit in the seat of gods, in the midst of the seas. Yet you are a man and not a God, though you set your heart as the heart of a God. Remember in the very beginning I mentioned that Jesus talked about the deceitfulness of riches? This guy had so much riches... You know, you think about it. He probably could purchase anything that he wanted. Uh, and he was so deceived by his wealth that he considered himself a god. Maybe even proclaimed himself a god. But that he was so deceived by his own wealth. Verse 3, Behold, you are wiser than Daniel. There is no secret that can be hidden from you. It's a sarcastic verse, obviously. But apparently Daniel's fame, you know, he's in Babylon at this time. Apparently his fame spread so far that the Phoenicians had heard about his wisdom and his ability to interpret dreams. And this guy thought that he was wiser than Daniel. You know, they probably invented the myth of Narcissus based on, you know, with the Prince of Tyre in mind. I mean, this guy was so 
absorbed in himself there. Verse 4, With your wisdom and your understanding, you have gained riches for yourself and gathered gold and silver into your treasuries. By your great wisdom and trade, you have increased your riches, and your heart is lifted up because of your riches. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, because you have set your heart as the heart of a God, behold, therefore, I will bring strangers against you, the most terrible of the nations, and they shall draw their swords against the beauty of your wisdom and defile your splendor. They shall throw you down into the pit, and you shall die the death of the slain in the midst of the seas. Will you still say before him who slays you, I am a God, but you shall be a man and not a God in the hand of him who slays you. You shall die the death of the uncircumcised by the hand of aliens, for I have spoken, says the Lord God. Now, when we get, that was the first ten verses spoken against the prince of Tyre. This prophecy now takes a little bit of a twist. And it's a very fascinating twist because the first ten verses were spoken against the prince of Tyre. And now this next prophecy is spoken against the king of Tyre. And when you start reading this prophecy now, if you just applied it to this man who was the prince of Tyre, none of this makes sense. In fact, it hardly even seems applicable. For example, and we'll get into it in a few moments, he wasn't in the Garden of Eden, you know, the king of Tyre. What, what, what's going on? Well, I believe that this is a prophecy within a prophecy. And I believe that God is now speaking to Satan or to Lucifer. And if that's the case, why is it addressed to the king of Tyre? Why is it called the king of Tyre if it's in fact really addressed to Satan? The Bible doesn't really tell us. I'm going to give you my opinion. I believe that the prince of Tyre was possessed by Satan. And while the prince of Tyre thought that he was in charge in reality, he was subservient to the king of Tyre, who was Satan himself. You think about it, you know, why wouldn't Satan want to possess a great person of that much influence and power and wealth as that because he could he could have so much influence in the world during that time you know there's there's a lot of evidence that hitler was possessed by satan as well um and you know and you think you know these these certain very influential men um down through the ages uh you know satan has gotten a hold of some of them and possessed them for his purposes now, if this is indeed speaking of Satan, and I personally firmly believe it is, if you supplement this passage of Scripture with Isaiah chapter 14, which I think is also speaking about Satan, it gives us an amazing insight into the origin of the hater of your and my souls, our adversary of the devil. Verse 11, Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, take up a lamentation for the king of Tyre, and say to him, Thus says the Lord God, You were the seal of perfection, full of wisdom, and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering, the sardius, topaz, and diamond, beryl, onyx, and jasper, sapphire, turquoise, and emerald with gold. The workmanship of your timbrels and pipes was prepared for you on the day you were created. Now, Contrary to some cults, Lucifer is not like equal to but opposite of Jesus. And also, Jesus and Lucifer are not brothers. 
Lucifer was created. Jesus, the Bible tells us, is the Creator. Lucifer here is described with great beauty and splendor. And the fact that the timbrels, which is a musical instrument, and pipes were created for him suggests that one of Lucifer's purposes or the reason why he was created was involved in the worship of God. Verse 14, You were the anointed cherub who covers. I established you. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked back and forth in the midst of fiery stones. You were perfect in your ways from the day you were created till iniquity was found in you. Lucifer was the anointed cherub who covers. Now a cherub is singular for angel. Remember cherubim is plural for for more than one. Lucifer here, according to Scriptures, was an angel. And he was described as the cherub who covers. Now, to get an idea of what the Bible is talking about, remember when God told Moses to build the uh, the Ark of the Covenant? And the cover, the mercy seat, had two cherubim, and they were, they were facing one another. And they were basically in the presence of God, is what, in the Holy of Holies. Well, apparently Lucifer was one of the angels who was in the presence of God, and from what it looks like, involved in worshiping God. It seems that Lucifer was a very influential angel. They actually, there's rankings as, of angels, and apparently uh, he was a very influential one because a third of the angels, we, we find out in Scripture, followed him in his rebellion. And when you get to the book of Jude in the New Testament, a very fascinating story where Michael, the archangel, is disputing with Satan, Lucifer, over the body of Moses. And in Jude it says, And Michael didn't dare bring a railing accusation, but said, The Lord rebuke you. So apparently, Satan held a very high position in the angelic realm prior to his rebellion. And, 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 and Michael the archangel, not that he respects Lucifer or Satan, but he respects the position that he held, and he wouldn't even, he wouldn't even bring this railing accusation against Satan. And it's amazing, people today, you know, I rebuke you, Satan, and I, you know, and they go around doing all that, and I don't think that's scriptural. I think we, we should be saying the Lord rebuke you, you know, because um, we're just people. But apparently, Satan held a very high position in the angelic realm. Verse 16, By the abundance of your trading, you became filled with violence within, and you sinned. Therefore, I cast you as a profane thing out of the mountain of God, and I destroyed you, O covering cherub, from the midst of the fiery stones. So as a result of Satan's sin, God cast him out of heaven. Jesus actually refers to that event that occurred back in the past in Luke's Gospel. In Luke's Gospel, Jesus sent out the 70 disciples uh, to go out and, on two-by-two two as, you know, as missionaries, basically, a short-term mission trip. And they're all returning to Jesus, and they're just, they're just telling Him all the things that have, amazing things that have happened and how even the demons were subject to Jesus' name. You know, that even to them, in Jesus' name, the demons were subject. And, and Jesus says, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. And he's referring about that when Satan was cast out of heaven. Verse 17, Your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. Now, Lucifer, the name literally means light bearer or shining one 
or morning star. And it's fascinating to me that we're told in the New Testament that that Satan transforms himself into an angel of light, you know, to deceive people. So Lucifer, who was the light bearer, became Satan. He's now he's called Satan, and that name literally means adversary. What was Lucifer's sin? Well, his heart was lifted up, and that basically means pride. It's described in detail in Isaiah 14 with what we call the five I wills. In verse 13 of Isaiah 14, it says, For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. What was his sin? Exalting himself to be like God. You know, this is the exact same lie that he told Eve in the Garden of Eden in Genesis chapter 3. It says, Then the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that in the day you eat of it, and he's talking about the fruit of the knowledge of, the, of good and evil, for the, in the day that you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. You know, that's the essence of sin. It has its root in pride. And rather than being submitted to God and His will, sin is wanting to make our own decisions and to live independently from God. You know, God says, don't do this or do this. And you read and you go, you know, I don't, I don't, I'm going to do what I want to do. It's exercising our will apart from God. That's the essence of sin. Now, I think the second half of verse 17 here in this chapter, to the end of this section, I think, personally, it's yet to be fulfilled. The second half of verse 17 says, I cast you to the ground. I laid you before kings that they might gaze at you. Verse 18, you defiled your sanctuaries by the multitude of your iniquities, by the iniquity of your trading. Therefore, I brought fire from your midst. It devoured you, and I turned you to ashes upon the earth in the sight of all who saw you. All who knew you among the peoples are astonished at you. You have become a horror and shall be no more forever. This is also referred to in Isaiah 14, verse 16. It says, Those who see you will gaze at you and consider you, saying, Is this the man who made the earth tremble, who shook kingdoms, who made the world as a wilderness and destroyed its cities, who did not open the house of the prisoners? You know, some people give the devil way too much credit. And, you know, there's going to come a time when, when we're going to gaze upon him and go, that's who did all that junk? That's the one who deceived me for so many years? That's the one who, you know, I listened to his lies. That's the one that did all the destruction in this world? And go, wow. Amazing. You know, at the end of the tribulation, Satan, the Bible teaches us, is going to be bound in chains and he's going to be cast into the bottomless pit for a thousand years. And then he's going to be loosed at the end of those a thousand years to deceive the nations one last time. And then he's going to be cast into the lake of fire, which the Bible says the lake of fire is prepared for the devil and his angels. And there's going to be some people waiting for him there. The beast and the false prophet, the Antichrist. They were cast at the beginning of the millennium, at the end of the tribulation, they were cast in there a thousand years earlier. Satan was loosed from there, and uh, he's going to be back in there again. And people are going to gaze on him and marvel and say, is this the one who destroyed so much? So 
a very fascinating passage of Scripture. Um, and now, as we continue on here, we have a prophecy against Sidon. Sidon was uh, just north of Tyre, about 20 miles north, and it also was a Phoenician city. Verse 20, Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, set your face towards Sidon and prophesy against her and say, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against you, O Sidon. I will be glorified in your midst, and they shall know that I am the Lord when I execute judgments in her and am hallowed in her. For I will send pestilence upon her and blood in her streets. The wounded shall be judged in her midst by the sword against her on every side. Then they shall know that I am the Lord. And there shall no longer be a pricking briar or a painful thorn for the house of Israel from among all who are around them, who despise them. Then they shall know that I am the Lord God. So here it says Sidon would experience pestilence, which is disease, and the sword. Now the city of Sidon, it actually exists in Lebanon to this day. It's known as the city of Sida. And uh, it's actually near the city of Beirut, which is the capital of Lebanon. And Sida is predominantly populated by Sunni Muslims. And, you know, Sunni Muslims and the Shiite Muslims have been at war with each other, been killing each other. There's more of it going on now than than in the past. And, uh, you know, it seems like this prophecy is is being fulfilled in our very eyes because there seems to be perpetual bloodshed occurring in that city and in that region to this very day. Now, once more, God's promise to restore Israel, just to comfort them. Verse 25, Thus says the Lord God, When I have gathered the house of Israel from the peoples among whom they are scattered and am hallowed in them in the sight of the Gentiles, then they will dwell in their own land, which I gave to my servant Jacob, and they will dwell safely there, build houses and plant vineyards. Yes, they will build securely when I execute judgments on all those around them who despise them then they shall know that I am the Lord, their God. You know, we see a partial fulfillment of this already. The Jews are once more back in the land promised to Jacob. But I think this is going to be completely fulfilled, this particular prophecy, during the millennial reign of Christ uh, on earth from Jerusalem. Very fascinating. We went through three chapters there dealing with the the city of Tyre. And uh, this morning... We're going to be celebrating communion. Luke, you can come on up if you want, or get ready to come up. In Luke chapter, excuse me, 1 Corinthians chapter eleven twenty three, Paul writes this, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take eat. This is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this. Uh, This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. And so when you and I are partaking in communion, you know, the cracker represents Christ's body which was broken for us, which was sacrificed for us. And the one, the grape juice, uh, resembles or represents his blood, which was shed for us. And God gave this, Jesus gave this as an ordinance, one of the ordinances for the church to do this regularly 
And as often as we do this, he says we're proclaiming, Paul says, we're proclaiming the Lord's death till He comes. And I think of this whole passage of Scripture dealing with Tyre. And, you know, God literally fulfilled His Word, His prophecy against Tyre. And, and we have that Scripture, that, that the sure Word of prophecy. You know, there's no, other, there's no other religion, there's no other, you know, cult or anything that they can say that, you know, that, that our, our founder said this, and look, it's been fulfilled. They can't say that, but we do. Because God wrote the words of the Scriptures, and, and He fulfilled this. And we have His promise that He's going to come again for you and I. And, and so that's what we're doing. We're, we're, it's basically dress rehearsal for the marriage supper of the Lamb. We're just practicing. It's like, you know, like a marriage rehearsal. We're, we're getting ready for that time when it's going to be fulfilled and we'll be in His presence. We'll see Him face to face. And, you know, our, it won't be faith anymore. It'll be sight. I'm looking forward to that, personally. Um, you know, it's not the end of the story for Tyre and Sidon. Uh, well, it is for Tyre, definitely. <laughs> But they still are mentioned in scriptures because in Jesus' day, as he's going around traveling through the region and he's sharing the gospel and telling people to, to repent, the kingdom of heaven's at hand. And uh, he comes up, the Bible says that he went up into the region of Tyre and Sidon. And uh, there was a woman there. And she was a Sidonian. She was a, she was a Gentile. She was a Phoenician. And uh, she came out, saw Jesus, and she cried out and said, You know, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on my daughter. Um, she's severely demon-possessed. And the Bible says that Jesus didn't say anything to her. And the disciples said, Man, send her away. Because, I mean, she's, like, she's a dog. You know, that's what they treated. That's what they called Gentiles. They were dogs. They were nothing. You know, send her away. And Jesus tells the lady, she says, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And she comes before the Lord and she says, Lord, help me. She said, uh, and then he said, it's not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. And then she said something profound. She said, yes, Lord. Yet even the little dogs eat the crumbs which fall from their master's table. And it says that Jesus answered to her and said, a woman, great is your faith. Let it be as you desire. And he healed her daughter. And, you know, for you and I, it's, it's all about faith right now. What we're doing right now, we're, we're doing this in faith, believing that one day Jesus is going to return. And, uh, you know, it's going to happen. And I believe it's going to happen soon, actually, for the church. There's another story in the New Testament, and I'll, I'll close with this. But uh, when I went to Israel, um, there's a few of us that went to Israel at the same time, uh, was with three, I think three, maybe four other pastors. And uh, we took turns. We'd go to different locations. We took turns doing a Bible study related to the location that we visited. Uh, great experience. One of the places that I was told to go to or <laughs> was uh, given the opportunity to, to do a Bible study from was Chorazin. And Chorazin is in the northern end of, of the Sea of Galilee there. And... Uh, it's, uh, it's got two cities nearby, Chorazin and Bethsaida. And in Jesus' day, they were flourishing cities. Uh, they, they just, you know, uh, they were, everything was going on there. And uh, Jesus warned the residents of Chorazin and Bethsaida, and he said, it's be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon in the day of judgment than for you. Why? 
because they disbelieved Jesus' promises. They disbelieved in who he was. They didn't have faith. And, uh, and so here we went to, to Chorazin, and I did a Bible study. And you know, you know the city? It's basically, if you didn't know where it was, you wouldn't know because basically it's just a pile of rocks. And, and there's a little bit of a structure you can kind of tell that there were some homes there, but it's basically ruins right now. And it's ruins because, you know, they disregarded Jesus. And what Jesus was saying was even the inhabitants of Tyre, they would have repented if they had witnessed the miracles and heard Jesus' teaching. And I think it's a warning for you and I. We have God's Word. We have the sure word of prophecy. We have God telling us how to live our lives. And sin is basically saying, you know, I'm not going to do what you want me to do, Lord. I want to do what I want to do. That's what sin is. And uh, Jesus, you know, we're, we're all guilty of that. I'm guilty of that. I know you are too. We're all guilty of sinning against God. And that's why Jesus came, to pay the price for our sin, to die on the cross for us to give us eternal life. And so we're remembering what Jesus Christ did this morning.